Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. I've got another Dreamation Live episode for you today, but before we jump in, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to a Kickstarter that may be of interest to you. Andrew Medeiros and Anna Kreider's The Watch RPG is currently kickstarting, and it's a fabulous Powered by the Apocalypse game about warrior women that I've talked about with both of them separately on previous episodes. Dive back into the archive if you haven't heard either of these or about The Watch. This week, I had the immense pleasure to talk with John Adamus, whose own game Noir World will be up on Kickstarter later this month. He's also been an editor for many other games that you know and love, and it's his name that comes up again and again when I talk to designers about how they got their games to the finish line. It was one of my favorite chats yet, so let's get to the show. Joining me this week is John Adamus. Uh, It's another Live from Dreamation special uh, episode. We're going to talk about Noir World and a bunch of other stuff, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we will. Yes, we will. Good. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Okay. Hi, I'm John Adamus. I'm the writer next door. Uh, You have seen my work uh, in the industry. I'm an editor, so I've edited oodles of things like the Dresden Files role-playing game Paranet Paper Supplement. I worked on Marvel superheroic role-playing for Margaret Weiss. I've done work with Pelgrane for Knights Black Agents. I have done many a thing in many years. That's awesome. That's a lot of thing. It, yes, <laughs> it is quite a lot of fate core, mm-hmm. lots of things. Cool. Uh, and you work with a lot, I think, a lot of the people we've, we've had on, in fact. Yes, uh, so, yes. Yeah, part of that same community of creators and game designers. Yeah, yeah. Yay. Oh, it's, it's a good group. It is a good group. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about Noir World sure. in particular. Sure. Uh, and that is a Apocalypse World hack. Yes. Heavy hack. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be, I, I think that needs to be our start point. Like okay. it's a, Noir World is a, it's a heavy Apocalypse World hack. It is not just I reskinned the Apocalypse or the Falloutness out and I brought in a film Noir. Mm-hmm. It is that I rebuilt and changed a lot. It is Apocalypse World in that it has moves and that it only uses certain dice and that there is uh, some of the same terminology, mm-hmm. but it sort of stops there. And it had to do that for very deliberate reasons. Okay. Uh, I'm very curious to know what some of those reasons were. And, and I know you told me uh, how many drafts? 73, 73. at final count. <laughs> That's it. So each one taking it a little further away from Apocalypse World? Or? Yes, and each one... Um, my goal was to create a thing where I believe in every word on the page, every word I stand by, and I will write awesome. and rewrite a sentence in a paragraph eight times mm-hmm. and until I'm like, yes, that's the sentence I stand by. That's exactly how I mean it. Um, and again, that was deliberate on my part. That was an intentional thing because I didn't – where how this game birthed itself um, required me at the point around draft 40 – 42, 43, to really make a very substantive shift in how I approach the project. And uh, I had to believe deeply into the words because otherwise it didn't do what I wanted it to do. So what is it that you want Noir World to do? I want Noir World to engage people in the heart first and the brain second because okay. I believe gaming has a an emotional responsibility to move people and create and, and inject and share passion. It is not just a an exercise and, oh, I'm going to have fun for a couple hours or I'm going to eat pizza with my friends. It's it's an opportunity on an individual level to have an outlet, to be escapist, to be a release, to be a, 
uh, a self-validating promotional tool because I love being this character. Yeah. But at the same time, collaboratively, I believe it, it is a fundamental part of who we are as a bunch of bipeds. Mm-hmm. The ability to tell stories and move people through story and show that it is okay to be passionate and articulate and creative when so many things mm-hmm. seem to be structured and limited and 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 negative and hostile depending on what climate we're talking about. Yeah. It's an it's freedom and it needs to be perpetuated and it needs to be fostered because there's no there's nothing more important to me especially now than people being able to make a thing that they love and share it with others. Yeah. And I didn't the game didn't start that way at all. How did it start? It started from the worst place humanly possible to make a game. It started out of completely uh, terrible self-interest, envy, and a seeking of validation. So I have spent a lot of time working with other people to make amazing things. Mm. And I am super grateful for all those opportunities to edit or to help develop mechanics or to proofread or to do whatever. And that's great. Yeah. And... I have seen my friends take ideas that we started in Google Chats mm-hmm. or randomly at tables at conventions like this, and I've seen them turn into books, and I've seen them kickstarted, and I've seen them win any awards, mm-hmm. and Origins, and all kinds of things. And I was struck by the idea that if I didn't do a thing, my friends wouldn't want to be friends with me anymore. Oh. I would suddenly, my friend pass would be revoked. I I had to be as good as these people because otherwise they would dispense with me. They would discard me like a used tissue. So I must make a thing to stay good enough. Mm. And that is the, that is, uh, in my mind, that is the cardinal sin in creation. You, yeah. you make a thing for the purpose of trying to validate through other people. You are often on a road to frustration. And I took this on and I pursued it because I was desperate to have my friends tell me I was good enough. Because as an editor, my work is not seen. If I do my job effectively, mm-hmm. you never know what I've done. You just see the text. You just see how it ends up. Sure. Or you see the mechanics. And I can tell you, yeah, I totally helped him with that mechanical question. Or I totally trimmed this paragraph or explained to this woman how to use semicolons or something. But you never see my fingerprints. Um, they remain hidden until mm-hmm. it goes to layout. And then after layout, it turns pretty and it turns into a book. But you never see my work. So I was always somewhat behind the curtain, behind the scenes. Yeah. And while I adore that position, I love it. I think it's great to roll up your sleeves and create a thing and get messy and get probative with questions. Absolutely. There was a a point in me, some sort of element where it was just, well, when do I get like the pat on the head? Mm-hmm. And it's not to disparage my friends. My friends, for their writing and their creating, absolutely deserve every accolade and every bit of praise. But I wanted some. The layout people get some. The artists get some. The writer gets some. What about the editor? The editor generally got thanked kind of in passing during the Ennies. Like, hey, thanks to the editors, you guys. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I love that. And more people should do that. But it didn't feel enough to me where I was at the time. I was uh, I was recently sober. I was incredibly convinced that I had no place in the world. I didn't know what I was doing. And, oh, God, I I need somebody to tell me that everything is going to be okay, particularly in this environment, particularly being this creative. I needed somebody to say, it's okay to be creative too, John. So I began to make a game. And I thought this game 
didn't have to do everything. It didn't have to be a Swiss army knife. It didn't mm-hmm. have to create this, like, my game does all the things. Mm-hmm. But I needed it to be good enough like my friends' games. And it, I needed a game that was so good that it would be transcendent, that it would be the next big thing, that everybody would go, yes, this game. It's much like we talk about when we talk about Apocalypse World or sure. Fate Core or Gumshoe. It becomes this great, we just know it by one title. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do. That is frighteningly hard to do. So I sat down and thought, oh, well, I will, I will create a game about one of the things I love because it's always easier to start from a place of knowledge. Absolutely. I am insatiably knowledgeable about Sherlock Holmes and all the Sherlock Holmes permutations. I adore them all for all different kinds of reasons in ironic and non-ironic ways. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I love Sherlock Holmes. And there was a board game I played as a child called 221B Baker Street. Which was basically a nuanced version of Clue. Okay. You you traveled around the board, you got little narrative pieces, and you you, you had to figure out the story and figure out the solution in a very Holmesy and deductive sort of way. Mm -hmm. I adored that game as a child. It was my favorite on family board game night. It was a favorite, you know, just to play on a rainy day. I loved that concept of not just getting like Professor Plum, the lead pipe, the conservatory, but getting story elements. Mm Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know why it never occurred to me I could just speak from a story narrative perspective like my day job. Like, I talk about writing all the time. It didn't occur to me to make a game about it. I thought I had mm. to, like, have a concept, like a, like this IP kind of idea. And I began to create this idea. I could tabletop. I could, I could add role play to this board game and sort of fuse it together in this new way that no one's ever <laughs> seen before. Yeah. And um, that doesn't work. I tried really hard to make a thing. I tried really hard to to make that thing that's just transcendent. And that's really frustrating because, A, there are not that many great original ideas. There's just different permutations of existing ideas. But also, when you try really hard to be creative, you end up not being so creative. And I ended up making a Sherlock Holmes game that wasn't very fun at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Mathematically, it required... Dozens, if not tens of dice. You at one point had 30 <laughs> dice to roll. Oh my God. And it was just a, you just lifted a brick of dice and dropped it in there. And it was, I tried to be myth ender. I tried to be this. I tried to be that. And it, 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 it taught me two things. One, it's really hard to force hyper innovation. Mm-hmm. And two, particularly with Sherlock Holmes, no one wants to be policeman number six. Everybody wants to be Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And that really frustrated me deeply because I've worked with games for years. I have been a part of teams that have made amazing projects. Mm-hmm. I should have absorbed through osmosis, like the experience. Like I know how to make this stuff. I've worked on these things. My name's in places. I should be good at this. I'm considered to be a good editor. Yeah. And that pressure drove me through uh, a very twisted bramble of my worst personality traits. It made me grumpier. It made me more hostile. It made me more selfish. It made me more all the negative things. And in a, in a great funk where I didn't quite know what to do, I went to one of my friend's houses and we played one game of Dungeon World for about two and a half hours. It was some sort of story. I vaguely remember it. We had to, we had to take a, a, a druid from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And I was a fighter. I had a big sword. And it was a very straightforward, very simple thing. But it blew my mind because 
it wasn't the traditional experience like D&D. And I was very used to second edition D&D, third edition D&D. And this wasn't it. This was, hey, John, tell me what you're doing. Hey, I'm engaging you on a creative level. But also there's like dice to roll. It opened doors in my head. And I saw that, wait, you can tell the story this way. And if I use this mechanical system, I don't have to design one. That's great. But at the same time, I didn't want to go back and, and remind Sherlock Holmes because I was still carrying the baggage of, remember that time I tried to make an engine with 40 <laughs> dice to roll? So I wanted to find something new. So I really struggled to find another great passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And I have a deep love for film noir. It's what I was raised on. My sure. my grandmother sat me down on the weekends and like we watched old movies and my grandmother had a passing resemblance to Angela Lansbury. (laughs) And so she convinced me that murder. She wrote the television show was a story about what she did during the week when I didn't see her. I love this. And my grandfather to his credit bought in (laughs) and helped sell the, and I believed this for years as a little boy. Like, oh, yeah, she would just go up to Maine to this other house uh-huh. with these other people. And, and yeah, totally, that's right, you did. And I'd ask my grandfather, where were you? Oh, I was down here in New Jersey. I mm-hmm. was, you know, watering the plants, mowing the lawn, sure. doing whatever. I was making sure she could come home after solving these crimes. <laughs> and it, I, I wanted to, it made me very happy. Yeah. And it was, it was okay to be happy about stuff. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and I had, I had the apocalypse system. Mm-hmm. I, I just had the regular first edition of, of Apocalypse World and Dungeon World. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, these book, these games are incredibly successful. What I'm going to do is open the book to page one. And whatever the template is, whatever the headers are, whatever the space is, I am just going to copy it into Word. Because mm-hmm. if I want to be as successful as these books, I need my stuff to look like this. Okay. And that violates the second rule of creativity, which is just because you ape or copy somebody does not mean you are guaranteed their outcome. Mm -hmm. And you would think as an editor, I know better. You'd think I'd know that like the finished book does not look like the working manuscript. There's all different kinds of edits and lines and blurs and boxes and notes. Mm -hmm. But I was, I had to make a good thing. My, I need to, I, I can't lose my friends. I have to do this. So I began to copy out the headers just as they were, no matter what. And I wrote about 10,000, 15,000 words or so. And I'm like, I did it. I've made a thing. I This burden is somewhat relieved for me. So I, I hand it to one of my friends, the guy, uh, Brian Engard, the guy who ran the Dungeon World game, one of the people I was desperate to not lose contact with. And he reads my thing, and he's like, this is, this is okay. I see where you're going. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Okay, sure. What's your question? Why is there a section called Wizards and Magic? Because early in the Dungeon World book, there's a header about <laughs> wizards and magic. And I had just straight copied it. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm talking about film noir and, and, and old movies and stuff. And here comes wizards out of the blue. <laughs> and I was so mortified and so ashamed and so embarrassed that I didn't produce another word for it for months. Oh. Because I had to... I mean, he didn't tease me about it. He didn't right. give me grief about it. He was just, John... W- what are you doing? And I had to admit, yeah, I'm just trying to get the template right. I, I, I had to take Dungeon World and copy it. And I felt so guilty about it. I felt so bad about it. I didn't touch it. Yeah. And I didn't think I, – I, I fully anticipated losing all my friends. I fully – I can't do this. I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I will just edit things then slowly fade into the West and it won't be a thing. Mm-hmm. And what happened instead was 
I sat and I watched. I started watching because when in doubt, John retreats. That is a John personality trait. Uh, whether I retreat into addiction, whether I retreat into bravado and, mm-hmm. and applesauce and horse feathers, or whether I retreat into comfort, yeah. I find a way to retreat. So I began to watch old movies. And I figured I'd never work again in games. I would work casually, whatever, whatever, I'd pop up, but I, I would shift my business and I, I do what I do now. I start talking about story structure and motivating writers and mm-hmm. helping people tell stories. And at some point, um, these things all merged because I realized that if I was going to make a game, I had to make a game about something I was passionate about. Right. And I'd have to be able to teach my game. And in order to teach an apocalypse world game, there's an element where you have to basically teach how to tell a story, mm-hmm. how to be a GM. It's found in every book. Mm-hmm. Well, I also began to question, why do we do these things? Why, why is there a GM? Why do we roll dice this way? What do we mean to do? Why do we do it this way? Why is none of this stuff questioned? Why is some questioned and not others? So I began to, uh, I watched 303 film noir. Mm-hmm. I, I did a ton of research, spreadsheets out the wazoo, all different kinds of material. I started buying Apocalypse World games and all the different PBTA games. And I started questioning, well, why does it do it this way? What are they trying to get to? Why does it do this? How does it do this? And I took it all apart. And I said, I'm going to make a game because I'm assuming my friends are, I'm going to lose my friends. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't care anymore. They're going to go away. They're going to go make their things. They're going to forget about me and my work. They're going to go find other editors. They're going to go find other projects. John's going to fade off into the West. So I'm going to make a thing that I'm proud of. Yeah. And I began to write Noir World Draft 1. <laughs> and I had to stand by every word because this was for me. This is my thing. If I do nothing else, I'm going to produce this game. And it became this, this antagonistic thing. I'm going to show them. Mind you, my friends hadn't gone anywhere. They were still supportive. They still are supportive. Mm-hmm. But I was convinced now I had to show them. I had to prove to them I was going to do this. So I began to write this sort of vindictive, angry thing. And the the passion of it was behind this wall of, I'll show you guys, damn you, success. I'm mm-hmm. going to get you. And it, I had to, I had to break it. I had, why do we roll dice? Why is there a GM? It never occurred to me that, oh, I'm being innovative. It was, I don't like these things in tabletop games. I don't like the reactive nature where the GM sits at one end of the table and we all constantly turn mm-hmm. to see what to do. And we're very limited in what we can do. Oh, we're fighting an orc. I guess I hit him with my sword. Oh, I guess I cast a spell. And we're always waiting for my GM, Craig, or my GM, Mike, to tell me what I'm allowed to do. I think there's a place for that, but that's not what I want. Me, I don't like it. I want to do something different. Okay. So I began to hack all the concepts in gameplay. So Noir World has a shared GM. Everybody gets a chance to GM. Everybody gets a chance to add substantively to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I began to fuse things together and question, what is it about this game that makes people love it? Why do we love, why do we feel so strongly about Dungeon World? Why do we feel so strongly about D&D? Is it like we're, we're all really giddy that we can say bastard when we describe a bastard sword? Or, or is it something more like we just like hanging out with our friends and telling a story? Or is it, you know, we really like rolling the dice to determine how big the laser explosion is? Mm-hmm. And in questioning these things, I started seeing, oh, this is just storytelling. This is storytelling where occasionally we do random stuff. 
And it began to click and I began to get far more expressive in every draft. And I'd write a thing. No, I don't like that rule. All right. New draft. <laughs> Rewrite everything back to that point. Adjust that point. Go to the next one. Oh, I don't like that paragraph. I immediately just rewrote. Oof. Brand new draft. So you'll see dozens of my drafts where it's just one sentence or one bullet point changed. And then it goes forward. Oh, wow. And eventually I had this monster of like, this is everything I want to say about gaming. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely, completely inclusive without ever getting preachy. You can play any noir world character any way you want. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I want you to have a good time. Make it your own. Yeah. Period. It doesn't need to be a soapbox. It doesn't need to be a big giant fight. If you want to have um, a lesbian double date in 1950s Miami mm -hmm. rob a bank, do it. If you... Look at this and say, oh, well, there's rampant sexism and racism in the 30s. Mm -hmm. Yes, but your version of the 1930s at your table in your game doesn't need to do that. You can do whatever you want. The game will support it. And you can, and I started questioning, well, why are all the games limited to the 40s and 50s? Yes, that's where the context, that's where the films are. Mm -hmm. But there's neo-noir. There's stuff now. Sure. So, and there's stuff in the future. There's Blade Runner. There's Minority Report. So, why are we locked into time? So the next modular piece became break it up by decades. You can tell Noir World from the turn of the 20th century, bicycles and carriages and horses, mm -hmm. to Blade Runner by decade. Great. I freed up another piece. And then I sat down and I looked at the GM rules where it I was very used to like the GM telling you, here's what you need to do. And I'm like, that's if you've never played a game before and you pick this up because you love film noir and you're a casual gamer or you're not really apocalypse you know, used to it. Mm -hmm. Why not just write this so that it's non-gamer? Let's just write it for people. I have a film degree. Let's use it. Because we're talking about making, we're talking about a movie. We're talking about the stuff we've absorbed outside of D10s and D6s. So I, I wrote, I started writing film directions, call sheets, establishing shots, montages, things we all know from watching stuff mm -hmm. and approaching the game that way. And as I started dumping my storehouse of knowledge into this, it it changed how I felt. I stopped being angry. And I, I became not necessarily kinder and gentler, but I stopped being vindictive. I stopped worrying about losing my friends, and it became more about, I'm going to write the hell out of this paragraph so damn well. You're going to read it and go, I super get this. And yeah. I see how passionate John is. So I had written it up to the point where I could run it for 15 minutes. One scene, 15, that's all I had. Okay. And I took it to Gen Con, and I sat in the lobby of Embassy Suites downtown, mm -hmm. and I said, this game only works for 15 minutes. I've just started writing it. And I had four people around the table, and they set it up, and I gave them what loose structure I had, and it looked nothing like the game now. looked absolutely nothing like <laughs> it. But it was, uh, the scene was a funeral, and the mistress and the wife of the deceased got into a, a, a cat fight and fell into the grave. They fell into the open hole and wrestled each other for 15 minutes before, like, I think one of them stabbed or elbowed the other in the face. And that was it because I, I didn't know. And the, the feedback I got immediately was, this is fantastic. <laughs> this feels not only noir, but it's fun. And we all we all like it. And from there, I knew, like, oh. Oh my God, somebody, somebody, somebody likes this. Somebody likes what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good enough. Are you, are you saying I'm good enough? Mission accomplished. Oh. And then it just sort of took off. And I began to see 
not just, okay, well, I, I know it sort of works. Mm-hmm. How can I make it really work? How can I make it a really John project? And it grew from there. And the number of drafts went from 20 to 30 to 60 to now 70 yeah. to production. And it's, Yay. I believe in all parts of this. And not, it's not for everybody. The game's mm-hmm. not for everybody. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's, it's not for my friends. Like they, they've played it. They, they think it's awesome. But now it's mine. Mm-hmm. Now it's, this is John's thing. John loves this. John's going to make you love it too because it's okay to make a thing that makes you happy because that's the, that's the thing. That's the, that's the magic trick. Make yourself happy and then share that happy with other people. And that's what this game taught me. And then I took it apart and now I can duplicate it. Excellent. Yeah. That's how this game got started. Oh my gosh. And that's, that's so good. And it's a good magic trick because yeah. we talked about the game a little bit because I got to play it the other morning. Yeah. And like, I, I love it and I'm excited about it now too. And it's, um, there's a couple games that, that come to mind when I think of, uh, just by the title, you can tell what their genre is. Sure. It's a very focused yes. genre is, is the impression that you get, at least from the title alone. Yes. Um, and talking to, uh, someone else who played Noir World this weekend, uh, it sounds like he's on a, on a similar page to me that we see that and we go, hmm, now I'm familiar with the genre, but I'm not neck deep in it. It's right. not something that like I, I live and breathe and I sure. haven't watched 303 Noir right. movies right, uh, right. In, in recent history. Um, so we get a little nervous uh, sure. that, that maybe we won't be able to live up to either what the, the game expects of us or what the other players expect of us. But just sitting down and just seeing the first few pieces of this game was like, oh, like, it's yeah. okay. You know, it, it's all here. It's all these pieces that I recognize from the little that I have osmosed from right. noir in popular culture. Um, how, how is it walking that line of keeping it open enough that you can play it in any decade, that you can do so many different things in this, in this space, but also keep it very identifiable as noir? Like, yeah, it is, it is easy and hard at the same time. And the, (laughs) it sort of, it sort of dovetails together. There are parts that are very simple because if you break down what noir stands for, the idea that, uh, it is people living with the consequences of emotional choices. Mm Mm-hmm. On that level, when you explain it, you're also talking about soap operas and you're talking about your day-to-day life dealing with your partners and your parents and your spouses and your kids and, and having to deal and navigate with the emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the other end, it's also really tricky because there's no source material in some of these decades. Like there's not a whole lot of noir set in the mod 60s. Sure. Um, there's some and it's, it's okay. And if, if you look at the foreign films, there's some, like if you go Danish or Swedish, because mm-hmm. they're, they're into it. But um, it's really hard to kind of go, well, what's my reference point? Because everybody, when they think noir and popular culture, it's a black and white episode of your favorite TV show. There's a mm-hmm. voiceover. Mm-hmm. They refer to somebody as a dame. And they sort of blend hard-boiled yeah. with, with uh, noir, which is okay. Like, you're not violating a great rule. But they're, di- they're different entities. Okay. And in order to walk that line, you have to prioritize, am I... Is this a moment? Is this a thing? Whatever the fill in the blank is. Is this where I have to be noir or is this where I want to be open? Yeah. And if I leave it open, can I bring like noir on the edges? Can I tint this noir if I leave it open-ended? 
And yes, because the definition of noir that I'm using is people dealing with the terrible consequences of emotional decisions. Gotcha. And by framing it that way, and everything dump, everything gets lensed through that statement, I'm able to have the noir feel while telling an absolutely basket case high school 1980s John Hughes crime film without too much shoehorning. Like, remember, you got to call her a dame. Remember, mm-hmm. you got to like use the word mook. <laughs> so it's... It's about picking and choosing the battles, or as what I refer to as choosing the hill you want to die on. Mm-hmm. Because it comes down to, okay, I need this to be a certain way. Sure. Okay, regardless of time, I need there to be a set, I need to be a setup where these people feel a certain way. Versus, I don't care if the 70s include the Jimmy Carter Molays era, or if you just want to have big collar shirts and heavy steel cars. It's it's really about choosing it. And that's one of the benefits of making it modular. Mm-hmm. Because then the people around the table get to collaborate and say, yeah, I'm not really cool with like the sexism of the 30s. Can we just skip that bit? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, please. By all means do. But what we know what we're going to fold in. We're going to add in like everybody's way into jazz. Great. So <laughs> that's a nice compromise. And then we move on. So walking that line is really about decision making. Okay. Excellent. Um, and are are there things that you do in the mechanics of the game or in the the rules as written uh, that help people confront the terrible? Yes. This is like how how do you do that? So there's there's the, you you get introduced to your terrible consequences and your terrible backstory through okay. the hook system. Okay. Which is sort of the amalgam of monster hearts. Yes. And several, uh, and fiasco, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and sort of the genealogy of the game. Everything drives to the emotional relationships. Everything. That mm-hmm. is my favorite part of not only the game, but character creation and the concept as a whole. It's so good. And, and people who have played Monster Hearts and things like that that are listening, there's like maybe one or two things that they, they prompt you with. John has a whole page yes. of hooks for each of these characters, and they are all amazing. You're getting between, I think, 18 and 27, 28. Yeah. And they're all individual. There are no duplicate mm-hmm. hooks. Oh, wow. Not um, even... Every, there are 20 possible roles, 20 possible archetypes in film noir that you can, you can make use of. And they've all got individual tailored. There's no copy pasta. There's no duplicate. Um, I think I reworded a few. Like, you'll see different permutations of the same mm-hmm. idea. Okay. But yeah. everybody's got the same thing. So you get introduced to this in the hooks early because you go around the table mm-hmm. and... I'm role A, you're role B, and I choose a thing off my sheet, and that's my connection to you, and then you choose a thing off your sheet, and that's your connection back, and we meet halfway in the middle, and that middle point better be something horrid. Like, <laughs> you're waiting for me to to marry you, but I know I'm secretly related to you, and that guilt is tearing me up inside. These are all elements that came out of different film noir films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I threw a couple in just to kind of spice it up because, oh, I think that'll be funny if I know if one of my friends plays this game, they're going to take this and run in a certain direction. So I'm going to write that in to see if anybody else does it too. Yeah. The, um, and then once you sort of sit with that and create that and you, you build this anticipation of, oh, this is going to come up. Like, how could it not come up that we're in this weird Oedipus kind mm-hmm. of vibe or, um, today's the day you and these two other people do something stupid to make yourself wealthy or famous. How does that not get handled? How does that not come up? We can't wait. Yeah. I wanted to build that sense of like, oh, I can't wait for this. We have to deal with this. It's fantastic. By by offering that early, before we build the city, before mm-hmm. we tell what the story is, I've, I've planted the seed that this emotional context is going to come up somehow, some way. And it pays itself off. Oh yeah. That's 
that's where that comes in. And it doesn't matter how. Like, it doesn't need to be like, oh, well, clearly I have to shoot this guy. Mm -hmm. No, you can have an argument with him and then walk away unresolved and then you carry that baggage to the actual thing you're intending to do. The mm. private eye could get really mad at the girl Friday and storm off, but that sends the girl Friday on a mm. redemptive quest to get him back. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not at all what you're you know, what not at all what you wanted to do when you picked up the sheet. The the character sheet is designed to give you that sort of quick emotional education in here's here's the trope, mm-hmm. here's the idea, this is your view, this is how you face it. And then anything you do past that is up to you the player. You tailor it however you want. There's a reason why it's that modular, and that's intentional. Oh, that's excellent. So well, you, you've gone through, you've written and rewritten this game many, many times. Yes. Uh, do you have somebody else doing any editing for you? Yes. What is um, that like? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, yeah. I, have, I have Jeremy Morgan doing my editing. Okay. And I adore Jeremy. Jeremy is one of my dearest friends. And it was very... It was fun to finally be on the other side and say, ah, I've written a thing. Now I need an editor. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it was also very, very unsettling because <laughs> I know what the editorial process is. Now, the, the nice thing was that I didn't need too much in the way of like, John, I don't understand this. Okay. And I needed a lot more like, hey, hey, John, like this sentence stops halfway through because John this is a different draft where John finished this paragraph and didn't paste it back in. Or um, this is unclear or it needs an example. There was a lot of, John, this needs more examples. Ah, okay. Uh, or um, maybe you want to make this a different page so that it's visually like we get it. Or, um, hey, um, John, your chart's in the wrong place. I think <laughs> this should go down here. I think we need to move these pieces. But it was never very like a cri- – I was prepared for a deeply critical attack of all my concepts and got instead a structural edit where this is this is in good shape, but it's the pieces are in the wrong order. Move these pieces around. Try to think more about how somebody who's brandy, brandy new yeah. would come at this. Because and I at that point after I gave it to him at like draft sixty eight, mm-hmm. I was so close to the material I couldn't like it. It made sense to me to go from A to B to C. Right. It did not make sense to him who had played it at that point, but hadn't really seen the the, the volume of text. Mm-hmm. So it was a little surreal, but it <laughs> okay. went okay. Good. That's cool. And uh, are you, I like that you named him. You're going to talk about your editor. Oh, oh absolutely. Very cool. I, I will talk about every every member of every group who's helping me do a thing. I yeah. am so deeply thankful for them playing it. Uh, it there's sort of an unwritten rule that if, if, if you're going to work on it with me, mm-hmm. I would have preferred you play it. So that you get it, right? Now, rather than just here, edit this thing you've never seen, you've never you've never seen it at the table. Mm-hmm. I want you to have, I want you to see it, so that you know how it's supposed to be, and then make sure I have that written down on the page. I will, I will nice. name drop <laughs> the what are we up to? Fourteen different people now who have helped me do everything from the Kickstarter video to editing to uh, the artist for the cover mm-hmm. to the interior art to. Um, the random proofreader I asked who just, mm-hmm. hey, are these, are there enough paragraphs? Like, is this okay? Yeah. I'll name check them all because I am Perfect. forever grateful to all of them for all their contributions. Yeah. That's good. And, and I don't know if it, if it's just the, the position that I'm in, the conversations that I get to have with people, but I feel like I have to go back now and do a tally of all the people that have name dropped you. As someone who has helped them or pushed them or helped them make their game great, I know you're not worried about. I'm. 
I, you can't tell in an audio podcast, but my yeah. jaw dropped open because I so seldom feel like I do anything substantial. Like I'm just the guy oh. who, who tells you like, Hey man, that's not how commas work mm-hmm. or no. When you add these two dice together, the range of math doesn't, you're not going to be able to roll 2d6 and get 20 <laughs> without a modifier or an addition. Yeah. But it's it's not just those things that that I feel like I hear about. It's it's this fundamentally didn't work until John pointed it out, or he asked me these questions, and it went it changed the way I thought about things. You that know? blows like, my mind. I I yeah. because I never sit down to I never have like I I don't have moments where it's like okay I'm talking to you Megan mm-hmm. I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna change your life like I'll I'll have a conversation sure. with you where it's gonna be awesome like we're gonna do this it's gonna be exciting and we're gonna have a good time but I never. Even in my most egoic, self-bloated moments, it's mm-hmm. never been, I am this, like, I, yeah. one of the things I had to abandon was the notion that John is the center of the supreme universe. <laughs> and once I got out of, you know, once I kind of ejected that, I, I'm so thankful that I had an opportunity to talk to somebody and help them. Like, yeah. if I could say a thing to somebody and it made them think about things in a different way and then help them, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I, I win. I can go home now and be very happy. So, um, we have mutual friends who have looked at, like, uh, Brandon. Yes. <laughs> looked at, looked at my game and said, this is amazing. And then he goes off and he makes his own thing. Uh huh. And every time I talk to him, he has to remind me, John, this, your game is how I got this. Yes. And like, I, I've seen his draft and I see the footprints and it's totally different than what I'm doing, but yeah. I see how he got there. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, I'm able to tell him, okay, if you go down this path, you're going to run into this problem at the table. Here's how I solved it. You're going to need to find a different way because how I solve it is messy. Mm -hmm. And just the ability to have that freedom, just the ability to have that option is like, hey, I've walked some really crappy roads and I can point out where the potholes and the mud puddles are. I've never done that with the intention of like, I'm going to save you. Right. But it's more a matter of like, hey, let me help. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm free to, it's, it's just stunning to me that people mention me as anything other than like, oh, it's that guy who's done that thing. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he edits stuff and he's kind of obnoxious on social media. And I've heard random professional statements about him when he was, you know, addicted and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's always shocking to me when I find people have, Maybe not profuse flattery, but certainly positive <laughs> things to say. Yeah, I, I think that goes for just sort of life in general. Yeah, because you don't get to see how you affect somebody later. You yeah, know, I have not I have no idea. Like when but. when I get told, "Oh, you your your edit blew my mind." Mm. Uh, it was just an edit. Like yeah. it, it just took me a weekend or whatever, or yeah. it was just a paragraph. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's just what I do, and it, it. I don't mean to make it sound like yes, I do this all the time. It's mm-hmm. just. I don't, I don't see the scale of it. Right. I see, I maybe see the impact, you know, when your game goes forward and you say thank you, but mm-hmm. like the weight of it really only strikes me in, in face-to-face conversations where somebody's like, oh yeah, John, they said you, you totally helped them. <laughs> I did? Me? Like, yeah. me? Like, have to, you don't mean me. You mean, yeah. you mean other human. Mm-hmm. No, they mean me. And I'm still like years of trying to get my head around that notion. Well, you do. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's. We've got a listener question mm. from Pete. Well, a string of 
thoughts. I think. I'll take a string of thoughts. Yeah. I love strings of thoughts. It's PK. We know PK. I know PK. Yeah. I worked with PK. We did. Yeah. We did three Rocketeers together. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good fake core. It is. I mean, they're all good fake core, but PK was a lot of fun to work with. Yeah, PK's good people. Uh, and PK asked on Twitter. Uh, let's see if I can read these. How do you lean into dark, uncomfortable tropes without getting hysterica? Oh, hysterical. Sorry. Uh, like fiasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes on. Let's see. Uh, one is full of challenging topics, murder, revenge, addiction, sexism, etc. Uh, how do you engage that? Either slash or mechanically, right. physically. Yeah, Twitter. Okay. Twitter's an interesting All right. So let me see if I understand PK's question. <laughs> and I'm sure if I get it wrong, PK will find me and ask me. Yeah. But PK, it sounds like you're asking how you handle the heavy material without it turning into a wacky, zany, lighthearted, not so serious answer. Here's, here's my answer. One, it's a deliberate choice. If I decide, if, if we're playing around the table and I decide that, yeah, sexism is a thing, mm-hmm. but we're, Okay, this is going to sound weird, but if we're all okay with sexism, that sounds really terrible now that I say that out loud. Uh But if we're willing to treat it in a superficial way, if we're willing to say it's there and not really engage with it in a, in like an examination, Mm -hmm. like a a provocative way, it's just there and we leave it alone. Um, my honest advice is own it and lean into it. Like super, like say, yeah, the, the source material is sexist and racist and bigoted and it's, it's white dudes telling everybody what they can do. And everything is caricature. Everything that's minority or marginalized is hyper marginalized and mm-hmm. hyper segregated and all this. Own it and then do a better job around your table. That's why on the third page of the book, there's a lengthy paragraph of if you're not okay with being better than the source material, this game's not for you. Because mm-hmm. I, I admit absolutely this stuff comes from a place where it was considered socially okay to have this be the atmosphere. Clearly now, that is not okay. And I refuse to perpetuate it. You address those things when they come up. And this isn't a matter. This isn't like me saying, oh, you use the X card. Hey, you want to use the X card? The X card's great. It's one tool of many to describe the situations. Mm -hmm. But from a mechanical standpoint, first of all, you never want to mechanize any element you wouldn't want to have consistently at the table. So it's it's also really hard to mechanize an ism or bigoted thing in a hard way. Like, it's hard to... Roll 2d6 plus sexism. It's just not going to feel right. It's going to feel uncomfortable, and it should because sexism is kind of weird, you guys. Like, don't do mm-hmm. that. Do better than that. So you don't hard code it mechanically, but you come up with – you let the people – you trust your players to be good enough people mm-hmm. to make choices that will lead them away from – well, yes, if you were being true to form, mm-hmm. then your your guy would look at the minority musician and say something disparaging. Or see the woman and completely make her objectified or subservient in some way. You, right now, you playing the game, have an opportunity to do better. Do better. I'm willing to... This is the hill I'm going to die on. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to trade away actual noir seriousness. And when I say seriousness, I don't mean lighthearted tone. I mean noir perpetuating that what I consider to be terrible stuff. I'm willing to sacrifice that to make sure people approach the material in a respectful, honest way. The majority mm-hmm. of the games of Noir World are very seldom heteronormative or um, patriarchal. It's mm-hmm. usually a lot of people who are like, oh, I, I can be in an, uh, we, I had a, a game with an androgynous mook in the 20s who ran uh, an LGBT brothel. 
they thought of it. They brought mm-hmm. it up. I don't have to write that stuff. That's them. They, you bring what experience you want right. to it. So when it's there and it comes up, you address it your way for what makes it work for you. Mm-hmm. It is not, this game is not a soapbox beyond the fact that it's like, hey, this stuff's gross and nasty. Mm-hmm. Let's not, let's not make a game about it. Let's, let's use it as a way to examine it by creating something different so we can see the alternative. It's like comparing the Shire to Mordor. Like, we can see over the mountain. Like, mm-hmm. Mordor's nasty. It's over there. That's gross. Ew. Don't want to walk there. And the Shire's really pretty and verdant. So let's let's build a better Shire so that we understand just how nasty Mordor is. Yeah. I think that answered your question, PK. I hope so. Is, uh, is that something that you have noticed playing uh, not just Noir World but other games that, that people are bringing more of that to the table? Yes. Like, okay. There, there's a lot of people... And it's 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 fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but th- so I mean, there, there, for me, I, I'm a straight white dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, there is um, I am at times made uncomfortable intentionally because I want to be because I want to examine like right. Ooh, this is how I feel about this thing. Okay, that's that's something to file away for non gaming thinking. Mm-hmm. But I think there's I can't say it's a responsibility. I'm not I'm not comfortable saying all games must. Push and qu- I mean, mm-hmm. you can be provocative without being incendiary, and you can be provocative in a collaborative way without you know putting your foot down and saying we are like this game is only about because sure. those limitations, although self-imposed, are not necessarily fertile ground for honest discussion. It's mm-hmm. an awful lot of opinion injection that doesn't really ultimately get anywhere because it's just okay. This is your soapbox. Mm-hmm. You can have it. And it doesn't seem like you're going to hear any other opinion other than your own. I don't want to build an echo chamber. Yeah. I want to build a collaborative discussion as an alternative to, like, we all, it, it, no one is an advocate for gross objectification of women. Like, no one goes around saying, <laughs> that's right, you guys, we're going to objectify women today. Woo! <laughs> that, that doesn't come up. If it does, you might want to consider the people you're grouping with. Mm-hmm. But you can do better. So you admit that it's, I mean, step one is admit yeah. that it's there and then get real, you know, get some real truth as to whether or not you're like, if you're okay with it, yeah. you don't have to engage with it. It can just be present. But if you're going to perpetuate it, I would seriously rethink your decisions because you, there's such an opportunity and such an, it's easy to not do it. Like that's the one part of the discussion I never understand. They make it sound, people make it sound, I'll be more clear. People make it sound like. It's, it's, it's hard to not be sexist. Like, you just treat people fairly. You just, you know, you, you use their names and you, you treat them how they, you know, like you treat them nicely. It's not that hard. My grandma taught me. Mm -hmm. Like, you treat them nicely. You, you treat them like people. You, doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what they're into. Doesn't matter how they dress. Doesn't matter where they, nothing. Yeah. They're people, your people. I don't, I don't know why it was never hard for me. Like, it's, yeah. So I just make a game where it's just not hard. It's just not like a thing because I don't want it to be a thing. And and I've had tables come up where it's like, this is so, this is noir, but it's not noir because we're not dealing with like these elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you want to spend three hours playing a game where I deal with it? Like, doesn't that sound kind of like a downer? How about, how about we just have a good time? Like, I understand that stuff exists. It's gross. We all say it's gross. So let's just not. Have it. We can. Sh- the the reason it's collaborative is because I want everybody's input. This isn't you reading, you know, 
this is the idea. Like, if you want all of John's stuff, just follow me on social media. But if, if you're going to play a game, like, I want you to contribute to the conversation. So to do that, I need you to be represented. I need you to be heard. Yeah. Whoever you are, however you feel, however you identify and orient, bring your stuff to the conversation. Whether or not that becomes an aggro thing and or we assume some sort of combative posture, mm-hmm. that's not for John to decide. John's just bringing you to the buffet and then telling you, you can eat all these things. <laughs> Pick and choose. It's okay. Yeah. And that choice is very hard in noir world. I have <laughs> yes. so many things to choose from. But uh, that, it, that's good. That means I can play it over and over and over again. Yeah, there's a ton of replayability. <laughs> yeah. And that honestly was never a design choice. Yeah. It, it was never a, it was never like, oh, you could play the same character seven different ways. Like that, that's the, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But it was never like, I will make a game where you can play right. the, the private eye nine ways from Sunday. It just happened that like, I wanted to make sure a lot of things were represented. I wanted to make sure you had the ability to play mm-hmm. this way or that way or this other way mm-hmm. or, you know, tell Johnny's completely off base. And like, there's, there's this thing on the sheet that says, if none of this stuff works for you, make up your own. Awesome. It's it's why not? Yeah. It seems pretty straightforward. You're gonna you're gonna do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You're gonna make up your name. You're gonna play your character in some way that's not on the sheet. So mm-hmm. I yeah. trust you, human. Tell a good story. You have you have John's blessing. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Uh, we should talk about this Kickstarter. Yes, yes, please. All right. So Noir World is coming to Kickstarter soon. Let's see. So it's it's mid February now. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to have it uh, start the Kickstarter in mid March, so about a month. Okay. I, I'm waiting on the last preparatory bells and whistles. The video I'm waiting to get back. Excellent. I've got to write like the text, like the big blurb on the page. I'm waiting for a couple image headers to kind of make it look pretty. Okay. But yeah, uh, this is ready to go to Kickstarter. Awesome. Well, what can we expect to see? J- just game? Uh, are you doing anything? Oh, in addition um, or. Uh, there's there's no extra physical swag. Okay. Because some of that stuff gets expensive. Yeah. And some of those items I would have to order in such bulk that I would have them like they'd bury me with them. <laughs> I would have boxes of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I also there's always that f- there's always that fear of fulfillment. Like, oh God, I've got to mail it. Make sure you you know you get those two dice, or make sure you get this thing and this thing and this thing. And that's expensive. Yeah. And, and I, I don't have a whole lot of money. I mean, to be very frank, most of my money goes towards medical expenses. So yeah. I, I lose a lot of that. Like part of the Kickstarter is, you know, like you're going to help me make this book so that I can afford the rest of my bills and I can manage these things. And I speak very openly about it. Like it's no great surprise. It's no great thing. You can easily find out what's going on. But. Um, I wanted to create a thing that's just pretty simple. So with the Kickstarter, you are getting, the minute you back, you get the quick start guide, mm-hmm. which is the, the base pack of six characters. And that's the good cop, the dirty cop, the femme fatale, the private eye, the mook, and the war vet. Okay. Uh, you get all the charts and things you use in the game. So the, like the, the figure out the crimes, mm-hmm. the, what the actions people can take are. And then, um, it's all nice and neatly laid out and pretty. You get that at any backing level. So you can immediately take this, grab five friends and play or up to five friends and play. Mm-hmm. The, uh, past that, you're really just funding the book. Cool. And the more we fund, the fancier the book gets. All right. We're going to get a nice fancy book. Uh, ideally, I'd like to reach a level where everybody gets a hardcover. Ooh. Okay. Um, that's, that's, that's one of those goals that I can say out loud now, mm-hmm. and I'm sure in a month it'll be, oh, God, I've said it. I'm, I'm bound to it in this yeah. Faustian deal. <laughs> and 
I, I will just shake, but I honestly would love to be able to tell people, Hey, my book is hardcover. It's available here. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah. Um, but right now, yeah, it's just the book. Uh, there are stretch goals, but there are additional content that goes in the book. You'll get, okay. um, there's a superhero pack so that you can tell retro Wonder Woman, Green Hornet, Lone Ranger, uh, the shadow, that kind of stuff. Ooh, nice. Um, there is the one shot stretch goal where, um, if, if you've listened to the one shot playthrough, uh, Jim McClure mangles the word noir until it sounds like <laughs> narwhal. And I don't know if it'll, I hope it may, I hope it makes the full game. I hope it doesn't get edited out. But the, the, this one particular stretch goal is basically, you know, that scene in Jaws where they're on the boat at night. And mm-hmm. they're comparing scars, and the shark is circling the boat. You're six fishermen on a boat, <laughs> and there are narwhals <laughs> circling, ready to hunt you down. And the the relationships of these six fishermen are like dire. Yeah. And and that's that's the one shot stretch goal. I have that's the first. I will tell you right now, that's the first stretch goal. Mm-hmm. I have every confidence that it will get busted through. Yes. <laughs> um. Past that, there's there's not a whole lot because I and I think I've talked with people about this. I I am terrified of this. I am hyper anxious and hyper worried about it. And everybody I talk to is like, "Oh, John, this is going to fun just fine. Mm-hmm. You're going to have no problem." I don't see what you're seeing. I see right. the potential of it, and because I'm me, I assume the potential failure of it. So, yeah. oh, I, I hope it does. I'd love for it to. I really want to. I really want to put this book in people's hands because it, it, I love it. Yeah. And I hope it does. I hope they love it too. So I've created a series of things to help you love it more. Excellent. Um, will there be dice? I would love to. But the guy I talked to about dice wanted to sell me like a 55-gallon drum of dice. <laughs> and I I don't want a 55. I can't yeah. carry a 55-gallon drum of dice. Yeah. So Too much. Too much. <laughs> but um, And I've talked to people about like different tokens and different bells and whistles. And they sure. just... It, I want you to have the book. Yeah. And I want you to be able to use the book and all the stuff in the book first before all else. Absolutely. And if we get fancy and super successful, then yeah, maybe I'll find something goofy like everybody gets a fedora or <laughs> something ridiculous like that. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's a very simple Kickstarter because it's it was one of the best ways I could manage my anxiety. Yeah. Which... Having talked to people about running Kickstarters just sounds like an anxiety-filled nightmare yes, of, a, of a month and is. a half. Oh, oh Megan, it is. It <laughs> or, is. or longer, yeah. It is 30-something days of, oh, oh, really? <laughs> oh, they pledged. Oh, this person canceled. Yeah. Oh, 10 people pledged. Oh, one person canceled. Mm-hmm. Just just measuring your self-worth in Yeah, and I, I do enough of that. I, I do plenty of that without a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So I, I fully expect this to be like, hi, doctor, I need some, I need some Xanax. <laughs> And and we're gonna like engage uh-huh. at a distance through like arm's length. Yep. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, good luck. Thank you. Back in. That sounded very confident, Megan. I, I appreciate. Yes. You. Yes. <laughs> well, I I am confident the Kickstarter will fund. Thank I you. mean, good luck managing the stress yes, on the other. That's, yes, that's um, the... that's going to be a fun experience. I'm sure I'm going to end up tweeting about that a lot. Yes. Which where can we find you on the internet? Oh, I am all up through the internet. Uh, first and foremost, the best way to find me is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at. Uh, awesome, A-W-E-S-O-M-E, underscore, you need the underscore, mm-hmm. J-O-H-N. If you do it without the underscore, uh, the guy locked his tweets because I've used to. i talked so much shit about him in podcasts. <laughs> um, without the underscore, I think it's like a Finnish DJ. 
Oh. And and he's he's like kind of a dude broy DJ. Like he's all fist pump and hair gel. Yeah. And I have I have given him such grief. Like I've just talked about him. <laughs> and uh, apparently people followed him thinking they were me and then would get angry at him when he, A, he, I don't think he speaks English. Oh, wow. And, and like, why is he not talking about narrative things? Because uh, he's a DJ who wants you to buy his album or his mixtape or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he locked his tweets. I think he now blocked me oh, after, after yeah. how I, like the, like the last Gen Con when I told a couple hundred people, follow me on Twitter. And, um, I don't think they got the underscore. So you need the underscore, yeah. uh, <laughs> underscore J-O-H-N. And it is, um, Probably Twitter's the easiest. I'm on Twitter all the time, much like a teenager. Uh, second to that, since the Google Plus UI is a visual nightmare for me, it looks like so, like, a, like a clown vomited. Uh huh. It's bright colors and boxes, and I I I don't know what to click in order to make a post, and I don't know what to click I, in order to find anything anymore. I've never related with anything more in my life. Yes. So I <laughs> I I just I. I it, and when I, for some reason, when I switched my, when I, when I, I updated my blog, I lost the ability to cross post to Google Plus. Oh, so okay. I, I have an extra reason not to engage with Google Plus. Like I see notifications, like people mention me in posts or mm-hmm. I played this game with John or I, you know, whatever. That's great. I, I can read this stuff statically, but to engage with that, I, I, I don't. Yeah. I can't, vi- and it's disturbing because I, I, like I can read other things. It's just that layout for whatever reason is. Eye-wideningly disturbing. I don't mm-hmm. know who designed it or what. It's just uncomfortable, so I don't use it. So mostly it's Twitter. Okay. Um, there will be a Noir World Facebook page uh, after this interview. One of my things to do today is make it awesome because people have asked for it. You can follow the game on Twitter, uh, Noir World RPG on Twitter. Cool. Um, you'll see all the all the iterations of John like sweating out. Like I'm going to add the detective. I'm going to take the detective out. <laughs> I'm going to put this in. And there are one of the things I'm going to start doing again, especially as we move near the Kickstarter, is I live tweet a film noir and then break down scenes as though they were moves in the game. Ooh, okay. So that you can see, like, oh, this is Sam Spade. He's using talk it out. He has clearly rolled a six because this guy's punching him in the face. <laughs> And I found that not only to be a great way in the drafting process of deciding what the mechanics would be, yeah. but also a way of sort of connecting the dots so that if you watch this movie and you read the tweet stream of like, oh, yeah, so this is they're talking it out. Oh, they're fighting it out. Oh, he's using this move. He's using that move. You not only see my blueprint, but you also get a sense of, oh, I understand how this works now. Mm-hmm. I watch this. I get it. Um, that's really important to me. I want to make sure people like click with it, even if they've got no, if they're not neck deep in noir. Yeah. So... Yeah, follow the game on Twitter. Um, follow me on Twitter, and I yeah. yeah, mostly Twitter. Good. That's I like Twitter. <laughs> I do too. I'm on it all the time. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, there there are many many tweet storms for people to go back and read. Oh yeah, so. I, I do a tweet storm Monday to Friday, more or less, pending medical issues and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday morning, nine a.m. There will be a tweet storm about. Uh, I think the topic uh, there semi. I, if it's near a convention, I will write them in advance. Mm. I believe on Monday I am complaining about a Vin Diesel movie. Ooh, okay. Um, it was a terrible movie. He had like a weird beard. <laughs> okay. And, uh, it's apparently like the last witch hunter. Oh boy! All right. It, it was a. It was a movie. Imagine a film. Here's the short version of the tweet storm. Imagine a film where somebody is telling you secondhand about a, a D&D game they watched. Oh. It's, it's that. Oh. I watched that and grew more and more bothered by it so that I ended up pausing it and getting a notepad 
and oh. taking notes oh, about no. why this thing was a disaster. Oh. You can also find uh, my most common uh, nemesis narratively is Batman versus Superman. I have shredded that thing a million ways from Sunday, and I will continue to do so because the, it, it has a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I generally tend to find a thing and then beat it like a dead horse. So, uh, yes, lots of tweet storms, lots of narrative Excellent. construction, uh, lots of writer motivation. I love to encourage people to make good, cool stuff because that's the kind of – because it, it serves me too. Like it, yeah. it helps pick me up on a crappy Tuesday. Yeah, we're going to go make cool stuff. Awesome. Let's go. That's nice. that's what I, that's my thing. That's my jam. You can also find me on Patreon if Ooh. you'd like to support these efforts. Uh, it's patreon.com slash John Helps You Create. Awesome. Um, the big thing there is I did uh, Fiyoshimo, which is a thing I did on my blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fiyoshimo is Fix Your Shit Month. <laughs> it's the month after NaNoWriMo where, yeah. okay, you've written this thing, <laughs> now what? And it's 30 days. Uh, it's on the blog, writernextdoor.com slash Fiyoshimo. It's a 30-day breakdown of, okay, edit. Here's what editing looks for. Here's character development. Here's mm-hmm. world building. Day mm-hmm. by day by day by day. Yeah. Uh, the Patreon version is audio supplement. So it's me talking for 20 to 30 minutes about like, okay, I know on day six I said this. Here's what I mean. Here are some examples. And it's two bucks. Excellent. So you can pick that stuff up and get access to all of it. Plus all the stuff I'm going to do in the future about different narrative bells and whistles as I get more podcast savvy and more comfortable doing this, talking just in a room with an echo, doing a thing. It's uh, It takes a little while. It's a process. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's a, what I'm learning. It is a weird thing to do. It is. But uh, cool. We'll have all those links uh, in the show notes absolutely. for people to check out. And thank you for doing this weird thing with me. Megan, in this it, room. it is my complete and yeah. absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. I really appreciate the chance. Of course. I feel like, I don't know if you've been able to tell, Like the, the as the light keeps coming up behind you, I feel like I'm going to be asked to change the sound of your voice so that no one can tell who you are because it, oh. it's impossible to... To recognize you with the I'm, silhouette? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I picked this chair because no. it gave me a clear shot of the door. Yeah, no. Um, thanks, it's, though. It's it's very uh, it's very on theme. Oh, yeah. sold. On yeah. brand. Hashtag. Yeah. Let's do it. Absolutely. That'll, that'll make people happy. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for this chance. I really appreciate the chance to talk. Yeah. I, I kind of like to talk. Maybe you noticed. Well, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, it is. Thank you. It's good stuff. You're very welcome. Huge thanks again to John for chatting with me at the end of an intense con weekend and sharing so much about his game and his process. Be sure to check out his links in the show notes, and if you ever get a chance to play a game or have a chat with him, I seriously recommend it. Or just do what I do and read his insightful and encouraging tweets when you need a boost. Currently Noir World is scheduled to hit Kickstarter on Tuesday, March 21st. If you're on Twitter and follow me or OneShot, it'll be pretty hard to miss. Since we're getting deep into Kickstarter season again, I just want to remind you heroes that I know it can feel like a lot, but I don't shill for games I don't love. I think that goes for the whole network. Every game and creator I promote here is a project I believe in and back myself. It's a delight and a privilege to share them with you, and I hope you'll take a chance when they sound good to you too. Thanks, heroes. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at ModifierPodcast or at the headquarters at ModifierPodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. 
Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>